this reminds me of the experience that often happens to me, which is that folks come looking for a direction. They come looking for an answer. They come looking, in effect, to say to myself or to another coach or a therapist or a guru or a minister, please tell me how to go. Please tell me what steps to take. But, and I know you've read my book, but as I wrote in the book, a map is a poor substitute for a life lived. See, what can happen is in that anxiety and that wish for safety and serenity and equanimity, we can project into the plan things that it's incapable of giving us, which is serenity, equanimity, right? Because what's real is that the unexpected happens. And so let's go back. I, I really admire your wish for the unchanging core. But I think that you're conflating the map with the unchanging core. And that the core for all of us really needs to be the answers to the core questions that I always ask. Who are you? What do you believe to be true about the world? What kind of leader are you? And I know you identify as male. What kind of man are you? What are your values? How would you like the world to be? See, the answers to those questions will point you to your own core. And I get that the pandemic has upended all of the plans you had for the accelerator. But what has it not upended? That's the question. What remains true? Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm finished. Over it. I just want to walk away from this business. I can hear and feel the nights of exhaustion, the desperation, the doubt, the terror, the wish to have all the pain go away. I could feel it all through Zoom. And in her face, I could see it, the pain hidden behind the tear-filled eyes. Here was my client, three years into building this company, a year into a launch with the real customers, and two weeks into a global pandemic. And she was facing the real possibility of just walking away. They had a plan to scale up the team, to scale up the marketing, and had even accounted for our wiggle room to figure out the product. But what was missing from this plan? What had they not included, rightfully so? A global pandemic. And now the harsh truths faced her. Her business needs cuts, big cuts, life disruptive cuts, and it was almost too much to bear. I don't know where to begin. I don't want to begin. She was desperate for ground in a groundless moment. How does one find ground amidst great uncertainty? 2020, pandemic or not, has been a tough year for me too. But like so many, the pandemic just amplified everything. The fear, the doubt, the uncertainty. I found myself, like my client, feeling at times like I'm standing in a quicksand, yearning for something solid beneath my feet. But in the fear, my default act in the quicksand is to reach out to frantically look around me, to move, to devise a plan on the way out. And in the motion and the commotion, 
My frantic attempts to find ground actually leave me feeling more groundless, lead me to sinking into the sand. But I'm trying to find a new way through, trying to support clients in finding a new way through, standing still and starting with who. Tell me, I said to her, why did you start this business in the first place? She paused and took a breath. I started this business because I want to build something that can help people. I want to build something that means something to others. But why you? I prodded. Because I'm a builder and I want to build things that help people. And I could see here how building something would not only help people, but someone I love. So who started this company? I asked. A woman who is committed to building something that helps people. A woman who is willing to take on hard things because they matter. Her body straightened up. Finally, a little ground. Now, I can't plan away the uncertainty of the pandemic, just like my client can't plan her way out of the pain of making cuts. But what she can do and what I can do is ground myself in the certainty of who I am and what I care about. What kind of man, what kind of father do I want to be despite the uncertainty? What kind of leader am I despite the challenges? That's where I can find some solid footing, inside, then out. Rajan is a man who knows how to plan and plan well. My first exposure to him was just before the VC bootcamp, and I found myself truly impressed and even blown away by the quality and depth of the materials he sent ahead. It was clear he was a man who spent a great deal of time working on himself and working on a plan for his life. But like all of us, his plan did not include a global pandemic, one that has brought so many challenges to the leaders in his incubator's portfolio to the leaders he's now supporting. In this conversation with Jerry, Rajan and Jerry talk about facing great uncertainty and where to even begin to find ground in a world of groundlessness. Enjoy. At Reboot, we often talk about the value of relationships in mirroring back to us our blind spots. Now, all honest feedback is valuable. And it's great if your culture supports a constant flow of feedback. But it's often helpful for leaders to take deeper dives into radical self-inquiry, giving themselves focused and intentional space to examine the patterns of behavior that are either serving them or not serving their teams and their missions. 360 reviews are a really powerful tool that can help leaders make course corrections, supporting both individual growth and the growth of the company. While there are many approaches to 360s out there, what we have found to be the most helpful to our clients is to approach the 360s as an extension of the coaching conversation. Most leaders don't care how they rate numerically on a list of abstract capacities. And even if they do, it's tough for them to really know how to make use of that kind of data. But if they can hear through the voices of their colleagues how their behavior is making impact, and if they can be helped by a coach to see more clearly the choices available to them for change, the benefits can be immense. If you'd like to learn more about Reboot 360s, you can go to reboot.io slash 360. Hello there. It's good to see you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Jerry. Good, good. Uh, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself and then we'll sort of dive right in. So Jerry, my full name is Tyagrajan M. Uh, I go by the name Rajan uh, in the short form. And I'm uh, a partner at an accelerator called uh, Opeka, uh, which is an accelerator based out of India. And we focus on only SaaS-based uh, startups. 
and uh, we have a unique uh, focus where we ask people to work on getting the capital efficiency first and then help them grow f- uh, from there uh, and we call this way of building saas companies as value saas uh, prior to that i was a product manager i did a startup worked uh, for about uh, 17 years i started out as an engineer uh, 17 years ago mm-hmm. and and uh, we met live and in person at a recent uh, investor focused bootcamp that reboot did uh, yes so yes uh, so yeah i had the pleasure to meet you in uh, uh, reboot uh, early this year and i would say that you know that was uh, an amazing experience because i've been following your work uh, since 2006 2007 i've been reading fred wilson's blog for very long and that's how i came across your work i've been following the boot camp so finally i got to attend that this year mm-hmm. my partner did last year so yeah uh, uh, great to know you in person jerry well it's very very sweet and kind of you and um i remember you telling me that you've been following me and my work for that long and uh i feel both honored and a little burdened i want to live up to your expectations <laughs> so <laughs> i'll say that so that i can release myself from that so um tell me what would be helpful to talk through today what what it would or perhaps some questions you might be holding and you're in mumbai right now is that correct i'm in bangalore right now and it is bangalore. raining gotcha gotcha yeah so questions that might be helpful for you to hold So uh, so when I came to reboot I had uh, put together a north star plan for me planned out for about 7 to 8 years uh, looking into the future and what I want to do and I had a framing for that called a uh, game player fit uh, the way I asked myself this question is what is the game that I'm playing in professional life and personal life and uh, what type of a player am I and where can I find that game player fit different people call that in terms of ikigai or even the word called flow so there is an external game that you're winning in life and then there is an internal score that you're keeping uh you know 3 months later you know many of this uh, projections or planning has all been torn to pieces so i am asking few fundamental questions around the game player fit so that may be useful to talk about uh, uh, in 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 the context of Uh, three months from uh, where we talked about it before mm. uh specifically i would say that uh, so in uh, i like i started out uh, this accelerator three years ago and at that point in time i realized that i've worked with a lot of founders my my past from that was that i'd spent about seven to eight years literally working with about 1000 plus maybe more founders in india helping build them product businesses in various roles and capacities so i figured that maybe i'll be best at helping with the coach role with a lot of the folks and that's why i started out uh, with this accelerator and right now i struggle a little bit with hey i can see that there are these uh, like big shifts that have happened and maybe the startups need to survive and uh, usually i have this approach of saying i'm the doctor you're the patient but it is your call finally but now when i see that this is a startup that needs to survive and i need to take a surgical decision should i jump into the player mode or not so so that's a question that has been bouncing in my head uh love your help to think through that and also I'd like to hear your experience in 2001 to when you went through 
or in the past, if you've gone through this experience and how did you think about it? So as is often the case, and you um, have worked and experienced me enough to know that I'm not going to give you a direct answer. I'm going to give you an indirect answer. And uh, because I actually firmly believe you know the answer, but I think you need some guidance on it. So you used to have this plan and it was a seven to eight year plan. And all of a sudden, um, life changed rather dramatically. Six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, whatever it was, whenever it was that um, the pandemic, the reality of the pandemic hit home for you and we had to sort of shuffle everything again. So am I naming that right? You're in this sort of new place. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the nature of planning for a moment. Um, In all my years as an investor, not one company ever successfully executed all of the things that there was that I invested in successfully executed all the items and the exact plan as they laid out when they sought funding. Um, And just take that in for a moment. We spend an enormous amount of time plotting and planning and then life happens. And I have been talking about that or relaying, in reality, relaying the teachings I have learned about that, about the nature of impermanence and the uh, way in which we should hold lightly plans for over a decade. And it's still viscerally shocking when all the plans are torn asunder. But it wasn't supposed to be this way, right? You and your partner were supposed to have an accelerator. You were going to have a couple of exits. You were going to take that money. You were going to roll into another investment program. And then sunshine and roses and sweetness and light and honey for the rest of your lives, right? And then all of a sudden, reality hit. And uh, for those of you who are listening, um, Rajan is nodding a lot. (laughs) Right. So what was the point of planning in the first place? What was it that you were trying to do? So it's trying to find an unchanging core, right? Um, In the sense that um, as startup, in the journey of startup, you're going to be able to have to make decisions where uh, there is going to be not a lot of data, um, a very uncertain environment, but within that, find that anchor around which when like everything is doubtful, uh, we could say that, look, I'm going to anchor around this. And then like, you know, if you use that North star as the guidance, then kind of think backwards from there, what else do I need to uh, shape and put together? But really, the f- key point was like, what is going to be that North Star? Mm. Right? So, so, so in times of difficulty, that could help you uh, make those tough decisions. So that was mm-hmm. the first point. The second mm-hmm. one was like, am I going to allocate my time in accordance to that particular North Star? Mm. So those were like, you know, the high level two components, I would say, 
the part of the plan. I mean, we can't um, like, you know, create Excel sheet dreams and say that this is exactly what I will do on this particular day, but the principles that went behind the planning were these two. Mm. And so uh, what you were trying to do, let me reflect back what I hear you saying. What you were trying to do was to find the thing that was unchanging in the midst of all this uncertainty, the thing that you could always say, and you use the term the North Star, the thing that would guide you. And what you associated with that core was um, the plan. Am I getting that right? Yes. Right. And so, in a sense, what I think you were seeking was a map of the world. Uh, you know, a sense of that, that if I had the plan of action, then I could, what would it, what would it do for you emotionally if that were the case? I would, uh, I would have a sense of, um, I would say like, you know, calm achievement. I mean, I, like for me, if I had headed in this direction, I thought I would get the flow or that, Ikigai is the word that we use it, saying that if I went in this direction, to make it very specific, right? So I said, you know, if I work with 100 founders, help them, advise them, get them to a financial meaningful outcome for them, then that will be great, right? So now, like where that is changing is that maybe I should work with one of them rather than two of them than to work with 100 of them, right? So initially, my North Star was I want to work with a few set of them Versus now saying, that's the second part of my question, which is that now do I become a player or should I continue to be a coach? Right. And so you want an answer to that question in order to give you a sense of what? Safety? What, is, what does it do for you? Uh, it's not safety. It is more a sense of uh, like, uh, like, you know, this is, a, this is a game where I will feel at peace. So what you really want is to feel at peace. Yeah, this is a game I know that if I were, like play this particular game instead of me playing a coach, sort of being in the arena and being working with the founder or being the founder and uh, building a business in saving that business is what may give me more peace. So that's, that's the change in North Star that I'm uh, seeing. Right, right. The The... Uh, this reminds me of the experience that often happens to me, which is that folks come looking for a direction. They come looking for an answer. They come looking in effect to say to myself or to another coach or a therapist or a guru or a minister, please tell me how to go. Please tell me what steps to take. But, and I know you've read my book, but as I wrote in the book, a map is a poor substitute for a life lived. See, what can happen is in that anxiety and that wish for safety and serenity and equanimity, we can uh, project into the plan things that it's incapable of giving us, which is serenity, equanimity, right? Because what's real is that um, the unexpected happens. That's right. And so let's go back 
I, I really admire your wish for the unchanging core. But I think that you're conflating the map with the unchanging core. And that the core for all of us really needs to be the answers to the core questions that I always ask. Who are you? What do you believe to be true about the world? What kind of leader are you? And I know you identify as male. What kind of man are you? What are your values? How would you like the world to be? See, the answers to those questions will point you to your own core. And I get that the pandemic has upended all of the plans you had for the accelerator. But what has it not upended? That's the question. What remains true? I think, you know, helping, working with others, or like, like working myself or working with others, the whole idea of helping them with meaningful founder outcomes, I don't think has changed at all. I mean, I'm not asking questions about that, right? But like how many of them do I work with in what specific ways I work with? I think that has, uh, you know, that has been like, I would at least say tested. So I'm going to reflect back what I've just heard so that you can hear it. The what has not changed. The how has changed. Okay. So from where I sit, what needs to be rewritten is not the what, but the how. Understand. So the answer to your question is, should I be more player than coach? I don't know. Perhaps, but if we use as the true North Star, I want to be in service to entrepreneurs in India, right? If that's the true North Star, then the answer to the question of how becomes what's in the best service to those entrepreneurs? What do they need? Does that have any resonance for you? Yeah. Yes, it does. Right. So I like the point that you said about uh, conflating North Star with the map, right? You know, maybe like the unchanging core is that of, like, it, it can't be the map that is the unchanging core, right? right? I mean, it can't be an unchanging map. Maps change. But uh, like, it's, it's, it's beyond the map that has to be asked. And maybe it's in the realm of what and why and not in the realm of how. Um, I think, you know, maybe there is a, the same thing applies and I'm just, you know, sort of thinking aloud with you here, Jerry. Uh, that was the part of my second question, right? And this is something that we discussed in the boot camp as well, that I said that, you know, all of us hold these beliefs and uh, those beliefs, we can call them as maps. But if we change all of our belief, like change all of our maps, Right, then the problem of ship of thesis comes up, right? Mm. So who am I? <laughs> right, if I mm. keep changing um, a lot of that, and then how do I distinguish between 
am i changing the unchanging north star or am i changing the map and we're blind to both how do how does one distinguish between the two well watch take a minute and explain what you call the ship of thesis problem so the ship of thesis problem uh, is this uh, old greek mythology where there is this ship which is supposed to be a mighty ship and a lot of people have used it for uh, many many years for war but then it's made of wood and wood's decay so they change one plank and over a period of time every inch and nook and corner of the ship's plank is changed so then the paradox really is that if every plank of the ship is changed and the previous ship was called thesis then does it remain thesis anymore so every belief that i hold if i have to change or like every map that i carry if i have to change then i am the same person or not and so how like how how do i distinguish that becomes how do i distinguish between map and the unchanging core i think here again you're conflating and i think what you're conflating as we were describing before metaphorically the north star and the map okay a map is an instrument it's an approximation just like a business plan is an instrument an approximation right it's a tool but a business plans and life plans are not businesses and lives right and so the good captain holds the map while they're, they're on the uh you know while they're they're traversing the landscape but they're simultaneously reading the map and reading the landscape and many times many many times the map was written by someone who missed parts of the landscape or the landscape has changed and you're worried and i think when you when you when you get fixated on the ship of thesis paradox you're confusing the changes in the plans that are necessary with somehow changing the core mission in the first place what remains is this mission of helping entrepreneurs so let's reinforce that for a moment mm -hmm. why is it so important that entrepreneurs in india be helped why is it important to rajan not theoretically but to you um i i think you know it's i can identify that as as a cause which is beyond myself um i have been involved in building a lot of products and i've been involved with a motley crew that believes that like we as a country can become a product nation we did uh, in the last 30 years really great in uh, being uh, the center of all for it services yeah and uh, now like we are rising up in the value chain and that's been a belief since the last 10 to 12 years and i've been involved with um, a lot of such initiatives and i've seen that it takes a different kind of mindset to be successful in that and um, i've seen a lot of mistakes being made i've seen like great entrepreneurs poor energy including myself and that's not turning into any um, outcome for them and uh, i i feel that like you know that's something that needs to be supported i've gone through that experience myself so so it's a larger than myself purpose that i can align myself to and uh, that has like 
great joy for me and it has like meaningful impact for uh, people around me whether it is at a personal level family level friend level or at a country level so i'm going to reflect back to you some of the things that i heard having meaningful impact at the personal family friend and country level gives you great joy that you and this motley crew, as you called it, are really focused on doing something for the country. Which is, to use your words, moving it up the value chain. Or in other words, to make the country, which really consists of people like you, your family, your friends, and countrymen, be more valuable. That's correct. And so by helping entrepreneurs, what you're helping is the entire country of India and its billion plus people to move up, quote, the value chain, or again, in other words, to be more valuable. Tell me what part of that personal mission statement has changed because of coronavirus none of it none of it but 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 the planks every single plank on thesis ship has changed but the core purpose of the ship which is to travel the wide seas remains the same so what does it matter if thesis's ship is the same as it was at the beginning You see the conflation that may be going on for you? That's right, yep. Let me ask you something. Why is it so important that India be more valuable? To you, not some theoretical, and if you, if you quote Greek mythology, I'll yell at you. <laughs> Why is it so important to you? Yeah. Um, so I, I would put it this way. I always uh, found it joyful to do projects which are beyond myself, mm-hmm. right? There is a mission and I work with great people and we are furthering that mission. And this is a mission, I would say, at least for the last 12 or 15 years, I've been able to inch towards with different set of folks or in different ways, whether it was the think tank that I was part of or, or the communities that I built in, uh, in the past before that, or even the product leader roles that I was uh, playing or doing before in every one of those roles, I was able to see myself in being able to find this cause, which is larger than myself and that giving me joy. So I don't think, you know, it is like something outside. It is when I work in a project like this, it gives me joy. I feel the flow, I feel energized. I say, oh, like this is the kind of project that I need to be spending my time on. So at one level, it produces an internal sense of flow for you to be working on a mission that is outside of your own self, outside of your own purview, your own little bubble of you. Okay, 
I got that. And is there any reason why it's important why a nation of a billion plus people should rise up in the value chain? I'm projecting and leading a little bit here. Well, I mean, there I can talk about some projections. You know, India as a country, I mean, in the IT services, it created about $360 billion of uh, market cap, uh, which means that it has given jobs to about 4.5 million people, right? Um, and if we build it, and if we build it through product companies, then the same number of people will generate about a trillion dollar of value, right? And that creates a lot of value for, uh, you know, the entire economy. So that's more a financial projection and like, you know, things that you can estimate and say, hey, this is how mm-hmm. it's going to be. But if you really look at what IT services did is, is brought a lot of people from middle class, low middle class to middle class, middle class to like creating wealth for themselves. That's mm-hmm. the big change that ID services in the last 30 years uh, brought to the country. And uh, like if you rise up in the value chain, that impact only gets multiplied. What happens to individual families and individuals if there's more economic activity? What happens to their ability to feed their children, send them to school, give them clothing, give them shelter, what happens? They lead, lead more meaningful lives, I would say. So what we're talking about here, the, the mission and purpose that is unchanging and is outside of you is to lift up the lives, not just of companies, but of individuals, people. And here again, seems to me that's a value expression that is also unchanging. So what remains is the question of how. And the short answer to your question is I don't know how. But I bet you you do. How did you come up with the idea of the accelerator in the first place? So, so the accelerator was actually uh, created by my partner. I joined a few months later and, um, you know, it was, uh, based on his experience. He was at Microsoft Ventures, ran their accelerator program for about five years and, uh, realized that the B2B companies cannot be shoved down the unicorn path. They need more than three months of support and they need, uh, the ability to get to product market fit. And we saw that the highest mortality rate was that. And I was doing different programs called roundtables, and I was at Intuit. I ran an accelerator inside. So I had also came to a similar conclusion. And we said, getting everybody to just fundraise and look for more fundraise is not the answer. You should spend two years with them, get them to a million dollar in revenue, and they should be able to do that in less than $200,000 of funding. That was the going in thesis. And uh, we had seen that work in our past life. And we said that this is what we should do. Uh, and then we also said that like, we need to design this through a skin in the game principle. So we said that we will help these companies get to a million dollar. And then based on hitting the revenue outcomes, we will take equity. And then said, after that, you decide whether you want to build a hundred million dollar company, want to fundraise, or uh, you want to just like build a lifestyle business. It's a choice that you take later. But on the day of, starting the company, don't decide 
are you going to be a Shaquille O'Neal or not, right? You know, you can't decide him when he's in kindergarten. You need to allow him to grow a little bit. You need to give him that support. And then after that, you should decide to uh, like go big or go home. So d- reducing the mortality rate in getting to that million dollar, which we had witnessed between 2011 and 2016, mm-hmm. uh, is what led us to create this um, uh, accelerator called Upeka. So what, what you need to do now is develop a, a slightly altered plan for how to go forward and to sort through what is the relationship between myself as player and myself as coach. Meaning, am I more of an operator now than an investor or am I more of an investor than an operator? And, and navigating and calibrating around that needs to change in response to the change landscape. Good. I know you had some other questions and, and I want to make sure that we leave time for some of those. Sure. So, so this uh, entire event of uh, last few weeks has uh, left the world to be like a Bermuda Triangle of beliefs. So every belief seems right and the opposite uh, one also seems right. Uh, so wanted to ask you, Jerry, uh, do you have any beliefs that have held steadfast across uh, the last few months or maybe across you know the, the last big shock that you personally witnessed, which was in 2001 uh, to now? You know, um, I've experienced a lot of emotions in the last few weeks. Um, sadness fear, anger, joy, happiness, a profound human connection to others. I remember just a few weeks ago, for example, you and I spoke and we spoke to, I don't remember the number, but some number of entrepreneurs in India. 70 founders. 70 founders. And it was a delight to feel that inter connectedness. Um, But I have not found my core beliefs shaken. I've actually found my core beliefs strengthened. So for example, core belief that I have is that, um, and it's really comes from teaching, core belief I have is that the world is constantly falling apart all the times. And that our plans no matter how well-crafted, are constantly being challenged. Because I thought this was going to happen and then something else happens. What I have been taught and what I have come to see the visceral truth of is that holding tightly to those perceptions and and projections of the way the whole world is supposed to be and should be in the future produces an enormous amount of pain and suffering. And, uh, and yet just not caring doesn't really work at all. And so what in, in the strengthening of that understanding of the world, I've come to appreciate emotionally the value of grief. I'm going to say that again. I've come to appreciate the value of grief. 
And we can grieve the loss of plans, the loss of dreams, the loss of wishes. And it's important to go through that grieving process in order to create space for the reinforcement of that which we know to be true. So for you, for example, you know it to be true that that people in India have benefited from economic activity, even as there's probably been an exacerbation of inequality in many ways. But many people have benefited. And you know it to be true that, that moving up the value chain, as you put it, will benefit more people. And that in your heart, that is a good thing because it means more food on the table, more education, more capacity to grow for people. Well, one of the things that I know to be true is that we need each other deeply and powerfully. And I cannot imagine a calamity happening to humanity that is a more viscerally powerful expression of the lesson that we need each other. I need you, Ranjan, to stay home, even though you are thousands and thousands of miles away from me. I need you to wear a mask outside. And you need me to do the same thing. So one of the things that I have come to have strengthened for me is that when the world is falling apart, What is absolutely more true than ever before is that we need each other. How we can help each other? Well, that's very different. Because six months ago, the how might have looked like, you know, when we first met in January, the how might have looked like, when is Jerry coming to Mumbai to talking to the entrepreneurs? And that's a wish, right? That's still a wish I hold. I can't wait to get off a plane in Mumbai and experience that. But right now, that is not how I can help. That is not how I can demonstrate the interconnectedness, the interdependence of you and I. But I can do that over a video call. So Jerry, I got reminded of one thing that you said at the boot camp. Uh, I think you were quoting Pema. You said uh, the, the terrifying thing I might not be getting this right, but the terrifying thing about knowing that you're falling is that you're falling and falling, and then there is no place <laughs> to fall down to. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I got that right. <laughs> I yeah, just got reminded yeah, of that. Yeah, it's it's Trumper Rinpoche, and he said something like this, uh, who was one of Pema's teachers. He said, you know, the terrifying thing, to use your language, is that you are falling through space, and the good news is that there's no ground. <laughs> right. And so we have to experience the fact that we are falling, falling, we are free falling. And we have to remember that there's actually no ground. There never was ground. We were always free falling. It just didn't feel that way. And that's that, that you know, that's one of the uh, painful gifts of this time is that 
um, is the realization that uh, there was never ground in the first place, right? Now, to be clear, we have to operate as if there is ground, right? Um, I, I plant a tree fully expecting that the land that I am planting that tree in 20 years from now will not be bulldozed and turned into a housing complex, right? I believe in a certain set of the future. And so for me to experience the joy that comes from planting a tree, I have to believe that that tree will still be able to thrive and, and experience watering and sunlight and all the things necessary for the tree to live into its purpose. But if I hold too tightly to the belief of what that particular plot of land will look like 20 years from now, then I am bound to suffer. And so what our task is, is to hold ourselves in this sort of center space where we believe in the future as we anticipate it to be, but we hold that belief lightly. But what we hold tightly are our values. The why do we do things? The why of who we are. Yeah, you know, that also reminds me of the metaphor for used for planning. And uh, you pointed that out about like if you're trying, if you're planning to build a building, then you would create a blueprint and you would measure it to the length and you would expect it to go according to plan. But if you're trying to create a garden, you can't measure it. You just now spoke about that, right? You can only tend to it, you can till your sand, you can water it that it will bloom its own way, right? All you have control to is, is how you're going to water the plant. That's right. That's right. And I suspect that your accelerator is more garden than building. And that your task, like a good gardener, is to tend to it. And it turned out that these plants did not take, but those plants are taking. And so let's tend to those plants in that particular way and give those plants what they need. So Jerry, one more question from our boot camp, uh, which I felt very powerful about was you telling me that, you know, sometimes you don't ask this question to answer this question. And that question was about asking yourself saying, am I a good man? Right. So in, in times like this, has that question changed or does it still haunt you? I keep asking myself this question again and again as yeah, that so last week. You, you um, let us note that the question of am I a good man or am I a good woman or am I a good adult, however I identify, is a powerful, powerful question and it can sometimes haunt us negatively it can sometimes hobble us and make us feel uh, that we question our worthiness and like all good questions it can also compel us and drive us to the next level of behavior um, 
And another way to look at it is to say to ourselves, am I living up to my aspirational values? Or as my teacher Parker Palmer and I once asked on a podcast, how have I been kind? So you asked, am I so haunted by that question? Yes, but I would use a different verb at this point. I would say I am still guided by that question. The haunting is a little bit less so, meaning the way in which I've attached my sense of self-worth to a positive answer to that question has been reduced. But I still allow the power of the question to guide me, um, knowing full well that there are days, there are moments every single day in which I do not live into those values. But as my therapist, Dr. Sayers, once said to me, not bad considering, um, for the most part, I do. So, but I recognize you, you, you also noted that that question came up for you as recently as last week. So tell me about that. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about, uh, like, you know, recognizing the mortality of uh, ourselves and, you know, in our uh, last conversation that we did with our founders. And uh, I was uh, thinking to myself in the limited time that I might imagine, am I allocating my time in the right way to all the people that are important in my life, which includes my son, my uh, family and I was asking myself this question, have I allocated enough to my enough time to my son? Right? So that question triggers this again. And, you know, I have a, a strange relationship, uh, so I don't stay with my son. So, so that mortality realization again popped that question back to me. And, you know, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, you know, think of a different uh, answer. I said, you know, I think I'm doing everything that I can, which is in my power. Um, like I'll have to recognize the, um, like, you know, uh, lack of control that I have over this. Uh, if I could, I would definitely spend all my time, like whatever I could, I uh, definitely done. So that, that question comes back to you to ask, have you done enough? What is your son's name? His name is Rishikesh. Rishikesh. If I can uh, suggest a framing about how to respond to that question that arises for you, and I want to acknowledge that um, you're estranged from this mother and that you don't see him as much as you might like. And that in the loss of that time together, this question seems to arise even more so. Am I seeing that correctly? Yes. So we just sort of pause and honor that. That's painful. I want you to think forward into the future, 20, 30 years. Rishikesh uh, is an adult. Um, might be in a relationship, might even have a child. How would you like Rishikesh to answer that question? 
Yeah, I would like to I would like him to be less haunted by this question. So, you'd like him to we were using the phrase before guided perhaps and not haunted by. Not exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so perhaps as I often say that if we want our children as adults to live in a particular way, then the calling to us is to be that way ourselves. And so when the question haunts you, instead of guiding you, perhaps the thing to do is to envision what it is that you want to model for Rishikesh. So that the someday in the future, when that question arises, it can guide and not haunt. It's hard. That means letting go of the underlying self-criticism and the questions of whether or not you are worthy of love, safety, and belonging, as I wrote in the book, which then give rise to that question as a means of haunting and not as a guide. Maybe if you can forgive yourself, maybe if you can step into a place of seeing your value just simply for being human and not for the accomplishments that you have, have made in your life, then you can use the question of, am I a good man? to guide you into making decisions that you will um, be proud of rather than stepping into guilt and regret. Is that helpful? Thank you for that, Jerry. You're welcome. Yeah, that changes my framing. In what way? <laughs> exactly the way you said it, right? So instead of being uh, troubled by it, use that as a force to move forward. Mm -hmm. I think if Be you guided do that, by. yeah, I think if you do that, um, you're practicing the art of not only growing up, but of being a good parent. because you're creating space to forgive yourself and creating space to what we say in Buddhism is to the, the, the experience of begin again. I failed, tomorrow I begin again. And again, and again, and again. And uh, I am worthy regardless of whether or not I failed today. And that my goal is to try again tomorrow. I want to thank you for coming on the show. You know, from the, I, I recognize that you have been following my work from afar and that, so our friendship is now only a few, our mutual friendship is now only a few months old. But, um, 
And one of the things that I have experienced about you since we first met is the thoughtfulness with which you hold such questions. And I often see your mind trying to puzzle your way through to an answer. And I just want to respond to you more as an older brother than as a coach or even someone that you perhaps may have put on a pedestal from afar and just say, I see you. I see what you, what matters to you. And I admire that in you. Thank you for that, Teddy. You're welcome. And thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Hi, this is Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening to the Reboot Podcast. Check out my book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I hope it really moves you.